Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Hello, listeners. Today, you have the opportunity to talk with our mayor, Freddie O'Connell, about the issues that are important to you. After a break in January, we're back with the first edition of Ask the Mayor for 2024. As you can imagine, the mayor is very busy, so we appreciate him taking time to come in and to talk with us. And always remember that the mayor and his staff are human beings, just like you and me. So respect is a must. If you're elated about a policy, Or if you're downright mad at our local government, that's cool. That's cool. Just show respect and care when expressing your thoughts and feelings. With that being said, allow me to welcome Mayor Freddie O'Connell back to This is Nashville. Mayor O'Connell, good to see you again. Khalil, good to see you too. XX, how you been? I've been, as you identified, busy. Yes, very, very busy. Listeners, if you want to call and talk with the mayor, call 615-760-2000. That's 615-760-2000. Now, Mayor O'Connell, there's some big news out this morning. You had a press release where you announced a decision to pursue dedicated transportation and infrastructure funding on a November ballot. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So this is this is something that we've been talking about as a city for really more than a decade. And it is a thing that other cities our size have done for decades. In fact, we are now one of the last uh, major American cities. There, of the top 50, there are only four that don't have uh, some kind of dedicated way to pay for transportation and infrastructure. And uh, my judgment is, uh, after years of these transportation planning conversations, community conversations, that this is the correct moment to do it. So we will be offering voters on the November 5th ballot the opportunity to choose a better future for moving around the city safely, uh, easily, affordably. Now, there was famously 2018 referendum that failed. How can you be sure that this one won't make some of the mistakes that were made with the previous referendum? Well, we, one, we think we've learned as many lessons as we possibly could from what uh, we learned from voters and from um, just the overall process in 2018. Uh, I will say there's no certainty about anything uh, related to elections. Um, we, uh, we launched into the mayor's race itself with um, some confidence that the priorities we wanted to work on, the idea of building a Nashville for Nashvillians uh, was a key for the city. And um, similarly, this conversation came up uh, throughout the campaign. Uh, so we know it's something that has resonance. Uh, we know that we've got new data from Imagine Nashville that's been out there for the last several months, uh, engaging with tens of thousands of people. And uh, over the just the past decade, 70 different studies and planning exercises and 65,000 plus points of uh, community input. So I, there's there's clearly transit is popular. We can demonstrate the demand for it. Uh, we think this plan is going to be better. And I will say one of the hardest moments of 2018 was the sudden and unexpected loss of trust in the mayor's office in particular when Mayor, mayor Barry's administration uh, suddenly collapsed. Mm-hmm. Now, where can Nashvilleans go to find out more information on the referendum? If you go to nashville.gov slash transit, uh, just in time for today's announcement, we have put up the basics of where we are. Uh, went over t- uh, from the announcement to 
the Howard Office Building and met with a kickoff meeting of a community advisory committee of dozens of Nashvillians who are going to help us make sure that the program we're uh, going to propose works for the entire city. They will be uh, joined in parallel by a technical advisory committee. You can find out information about that process, what to expect uh, right there at nashville.gov slash transit. All right. Just here's one recommendation personally from me. I'm listening carefully. On Cliff. holidays, free bus rides. You know, we are definitely going to explore how we pilot this. Um, I, years ago, when I was actually still on the Nashville MTA Board of Directors, uh, you could see how important that was. We started offering um, fare-free Black Friday. And so on the day after Thanksgiving, uh, you could hop on the bus. And what we saw was huge spikes in ridership because people didn't want to be fighting traffic as they went shopping. And mm -hmm. it worked out really well. Um, we're... We're certainly going to explore ideas just like that as we finalize the details. All right. We're going to hop to the phones. We have Dylan, who is outside of Nashville with a call. Dylan, welcome to This is Nashville. What is your comment for the mayor? Uh, thank you, Khalil. Uh, hi, Mayor O'Connell. Um, just have a quick question regarding the uh, recent news of uh, your PAC having donated to other candidates in Tennessee. Just kind of wanting to know why that would have been. And, and it feels a bit disingenuous to donate to a candidate supporting a certain set of ideals and a certain set of values and then be utterly surprised and kind of shocked to see that money then funneled to candidates that we explicitly would not want to support. Just wanting to see if there's any more information you could shed on that or, or why we would want to donate in the future to a campaign. Sure. Um, it's a it's a good question. It's especially interesting, I guess, coming from outside of Nashville. We did focus uh, our donation activity on um, candidates that were part of the Davidson County delegation. Uh, it is very important to have a good working relationship there. Uh, we focused on uh, campaigns that didn't already have a million dollars in the bank and those that were working in good faith. Uh, I think probably one of the biggest questions or objections is uh, Senator Mark Pody, but he is part of the Davidson County delegation. We checked uh, with the delegation. And Senator Pody has shown up. He has participated. He's been one of the people uh, most important voting uh, with the interests of Nashville as a whole when uh, bills attacking Nashville have uh, come out of the General Assembly. So um, in some ways, it's a credit to that. I would say, uh, you know, in the grand scheme of things, a $250 uh, contribution should pale in comparison to the $500 million capital spending plan we've proposed that does exactly what we said we were going to do on the campaign. We think that if we get dedicated funding done, this will be a huge accomplishment. If we are successful in the development agreement uh, with the East Bank, where Bob Mendez as chief development officer is delivering on all of the principles we discussed on the campaign, uh, the overall activities of what we're pursuing in the mayor's office and, and how we get the outcomes we were chasing uh, should add up to something that everybody uh, that supported us initially will be interested in continuing to support. All right. Thank you very much, Dylan, for that comment. All right. We're going to go to Mark, who has... A question about transit. Mark, you're on This Is Nashville. What's your question for the mayor? Yeah, thanks for taking my call, Mr. Mayor. Thanks for being on. Um, you know, I was a, a resident of Nashville for two years, and like many, I was priced out, purchased a home up in White House. Um, and, you know, I'm not unique, right? There's a lot of urban sprawl as a result of, you know, the uh, increasing cost of, of real estate in the city. Now, with that, of course, becomes transit issues. You know, Nashville, as you know, ranked the worst transit uh, city in America. I'm from Boston, where we had a robust public transit system, and a big piece of that 
was our commuter rail, right? Equipping folks who have left the city to fill the jobs, um, create some more economic upward mobility for those, you know, suburbanites in and around the urban core. Um, the Music City Star obviously has not achieved that. Um, and with the change, obviously, in our legislative delegation, it becomes a little bit harder. So how can you, Mr. Mayor, advocate, you know, for an expansion of that commuter rail in addition to, obviously, the, the urban core transit initiative that you've kind of outlined? Yeah, it's a great question. And I would say going back to <clears throat> Khalil, where we started this conversation about what we what lessons we've drawn from 2018 and what we think increases the chances of success here is we know this overall transit improvement program that we are working on has to serve not just the entire city and county, but also has to think beyond our borders. Uh, we're not going to ask Metro taxpayers to pay for the entire region's uh, transit, but we know that Nashvilleans too need to get to points beyond and that there are a lot of commuters that benefit. Uh, years ago, when I was on the Nashville MTA board, we made an important decision that uh, helped the star achieve a, a totally new ridership plateau, and it was by having a transit agency actually operate the train rather than a government bureaucracy. That worked out really well. One of the things that's held the star back in recent years has actually been our inability to pay for positive train control, which is uh, effectively a f an un you know, it's an unfunded mandate from the federal government that will allow us the capacity to run uh, more trains with greater frequency uh, that serve passengers. We've got the opportunity to uh, extend a line uh, on existing alignment up to Clarksville that needs to be seriously considered. And then we've actually got a great network of commuter coaches that while they're not trains, they offer screens and Wi-Fi. And in fact, uh, before I got elected to council, one of the newer routes that was introduced, uh, they had to kick public officials off the inaugural bus because there were so many uh, people waiting to ride it. There is a lot of opportunity out there for regional transportation solutions. Uh, the plan we're going to propose should have some elements that improve the star, improve those commuter coaches, but also dramatically improve people moving around the city and county. Thank you so much, Mark, for your call. Listeners, you are listening to This Is Nashville. I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. We're doing Ask the Mayor, where you can call to talk to our mayor, Freddie O'Connell. Just call 615-760-2000. That's 615-760-2000. Here we have a call from Sherry from Nashville. Sherry, welcome to This Is Nashville. What's your comment for the mayor? Thank you so much, and uh, good afternoon, Mayor. Um, I have seen three accidents in a four-way stop within the last five days, and I would love to see more roundabouts. I've read about them, and I know there shows data that a roundabout is safer than a three-way stop or even a red light. So I'd love to see Nashville start adding more roundabouts in those four-way stop areas. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Sherry. It's a, it's a really important observation. It's obviously a part of an infrastructure toolkit that has been out there, um, not just in other communities around the United States, but certainly around the world uh, to have roundabouts. We have a program underway. In fact, I was just uh, discussing with Councilmember Cortez and Council District 4 uh, a, a roundabout design that's underway. One of the challenges about implementation is a lot of times the roundabout design winds up uh, moving into existing uh, private property, and that's actually been one of the challenges for recent implementation. Uh, we did just complete another new one in southeast Nashville, uh, and we've had a, a tough conversation, too, about exactly that problem of 
uh, private property about one that was proposed over near Tennessee State University. Um, my hope is that when those conversations become challenging, you can get to something that is improved roadway design because, uh, to your point, we know that uh, in many cases, particularly at neighborhood scale, uh, those roundabouts do reduce uh, the likelihood of collisions right in the middle of the intersection like you've observed. So. I will tell you, our Nashville Department of Transportation and Multimodal Infrastructure, we call it INDOT, uh, definitely has this in the toolkit. They are working actively with uh, communities and council members across the city to try to get to implementation. And like many other things, when you get into where the, the access on public right-of-way already exists versus where private property enters the question, that's where most of the challenges come up. I have a question about roadway design. You know, a lot a few weeks ago, we had an incredibly historic ice storm snow come, and it created tons of crazy potholes along our roads. Now, I have seen in the past few weeks, I have seen crews out fixing those potholes, but that seems to me to be a temporary fix. There's going to be greater work done should we get inclement weather again. What's the process of that? What's a timeline that we can look forward to as far as having those roads and those potholes fixed? Yeah, so I just want to speak to the importance of the process we undertook there. I know the snow was frustrating, and it's important to take into account that um, over the past decade, our average snowfall is less than five inches. And so we are prepared with a fleet of plows and salt and all the things that clear roads that uh, isn't a northern city that gets three feet of snow, but is a southern city that gets an average snowfall of less than five inches. So uh, the good news was our INDOT and TDOT crews uh, in January uh, were out salting and brining before the snow fell, but the snow uh, started falling didn't stop till we had more than eight inches in some places, and then temperatures dropped to sub-zero, and we haven't seen temperatures that low, typically once a quarter century, that much snowfall a couple times a decade maybe. But after the snow started falling, our crews were out there 24-7 working and reworking primaries, and then we got freezing rain mm -hmm. just as we got into the neighborhoods. But they never stopped until all the snow was gone, and then they immediately started filling potholes. Since that time, we've done 7,852 potholes just since January 15th. Uh, it speaks to what you're talking about a little bit in that that is a necessary thing. When, when winter weather creates problems on the roadways, uh, we do need to address it and respond quickly, but these same crews really have been out there addressing them quickly. The next step we need to take, though, is to make sure that what we're putting down in the first place, particularly on interstates, uh, with a major transportation bill that just passed at the state level, that's all state roadway. Uh, we need to make sure across state and local road design that we're also not just putting down asphalt, but thinking about the paving technologies that are going to help us withstand weather as we have we have started to see uh, changes in patterns for extreme weather. I will tell you one of the people we're lucky to have on the staff in the mayor's office is Kendra Abkowitz, who focuses on sustainability and resiliency for us. This is a part of a resiliency planning exercise, and we're working with NDOT. Uh, to make sure that their paving technologies are also looking to the future. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue Ask the Mayor with Mayor Freddie O'Connell. If you have a question, a comment, something you want to ask the mayor, just pick up the phone and call 615-760-2000. 615-760-2000. We'll be right back after this. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this 
is Nashville. My guest in studio is Mayor Freddie O'Connell. He is here for Ask the Mayor. Once a month, we bring you Mr. Mayor. You bring him your questions. We have a conversation about it. If you want to get in on this conversation, you call 615-760-2000. That's 615-760-2000. We have a call from Brenda in Nashville. Brenda, thank you so much for calling. What's your comment? Uh, first, want to thank the mayor for being accessible in this way to his citizens for the efforts on pedestrian safety and for uh, protecting, especially protecting the city from state overreach. Some of the candidates were not willing to do that, but I appreciate that in you. My question is, are, is Metro looking to the future for funding when, as vehicles transition away from gasoline, which is one of the major income sources for the city and state? Absolutely, we are. We know that um, the state has actually made changes to registration of electric vehicles, but um, electric vehicle infrastructure is something we're considering. We've worked with TVA. In fact, uh, one of the first events I attended was a ribbon cutting um, up in the Madison area uh, that was for some new electric vehicle infrastructure to uh, support a nationwide opportunity there. But we know that um, uh, there's been a lot of focus of instead of just using uh, the gas tax to think about vehicle miles traveled, that's a part of the equation. We we know that any anybody using the road is going to have to participate uh, in upkeep there. Again, going back to Khalil's question about potholes, um, there probably will be a long-term decline in the gas tax, but I think that's why the state has already begun focusing on uh, ensuring that uh, electrification doesn't mean you don't have the funding uh, for infrastructure there. So there is definitely some of that planning work underway. Again, coming back to Kendra in our office, uh, we think about those things all the time. The The good news there too, though, is that um, as we see those types of vehicles come online, we're having uh, a lot of good pressure put on emissions, meaning that we're going to get cleaner air out of it at the end of the day as well. All right. Thank you so much for your call, Brendan. And listeners, the phone is ringing off the hook. We are going to get to your call as soon as we can. Everybody wants to talk with Mayor O'Connell. We have a call from Angel in Antioch. Angel, thanks for being with us. What's your comment? Yes. Hello, uh, Mr. Mayor. Thank you for being here and taking our calls. Yesterday, many of uh, on Tuesday, many of us were down at Cordell Hull in uh, dissent of uh, a bill, uh, a resolution, Senate Joint Resolution 870 proposed by Hensley. Um, we really are waiting for somebody to call for a ceasefire. We've been pressuring Metro Council. We've been dissenting against all these Zionist resolutions that are in the House. You mentioned uh, Mark Pody. He currently has a Senate Joint Resolution in the House that expresses unconditional support for the brutality and plausible genocide as found by the ICJ of the state of Israel. I don't know if you've noticed all the billboards that are coming up all over the city. And we are just here to ask, uh, while you pat uh, Mark Cody on the back and uh, Senator Hensley uh, currently has another uh, bill in the House, 1722, that this that is you know is saying that Black Lives Matter and LGBTQ flags are detrimental, but Confederacy flags are exempted. So what are we doing to push against uh, these this police state 
that Tennessee is becoming. I, I know that John Drake is asking for $415 million and 800 acres for a cop city here in Nashville. Um, we are, they're trying to double the surveillance budget. We already have the LPRs in effect while the Senate continues uh, and the House continue to defund our public education. Um, we're sliding into fascism here. And I just want to know what you have to, to say about it and what you have to say about calling for a ceasefire resolution as we witness this terrible violence, the biggest human atrocity we've ever seen in our lifetimes unfold on our television screens. Thank Th you. Thank you, Angel, for that call. Mr. Mayor. All right. Thank you. There's there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, I think even when you get into the language of it, there have been uh, in my lifetime, I will tell you, uh, looking around the world of current events, there are atrocities unfolding everywhere. There are atrocities across the world even right now. Uh, it is hard for a mayor and a metro council to do more than take care of Nashvillians where we know uh, people from multiple sources of conflict are experiencing this. On October 7th, uh, it was very difficult to uh, stay engaged with uh, our entire community, and this is why my focus is on making sure that not only are uh, am I in touch in, with uh, local Muslim, Arab, uh, and Palestinian and Kurdish leadership and community, but also with rabbis and the Jewish population of Nashville. And the idea here is to take care of all of them. This is why uh, we put up a resource. We continue to stay in touch with AMAC as they share new uh, resources. But I'm I'm in the mayor's office. Our job is not to get uh, into this battle of uh, which legislative body is going to express its opinion more forcefully on things that aren't actually public policy. Uh, to the point about policing, uh, we know that there is a direct correlation between the presence of high-quality community policing uh, and reductions in crime, but we also know that uh, from the th work I did personally on 37208, there's a lot of uh, reparation of past harms that has to be done, and we're continuing to look at uh, all of those things that turn uh, punitive fines and fees into future financial empowerment by eliminating them, particularly on a pretrial basis. We've also I received a lot of grants even just since taking office on violence interruption and reduction. We're going to continue pursuing a strategy that uh, offers broad uh, public safety. I think Mayor Cooper uh, pursued, generally speaking, an approach that uh, ensured that we're not going to step away from some of the traditional policing models that uh, employ best practices, and we're going to add to that uh, things that we know work across the board. We're also going to make sure that our overall budget uh, supports the things that make the next generation uh, more prosperous, including the largest investment in our capital spending plan, which is our public school system. So we're we're working on all that across the board. All right, thank you so much, Stephanie. We're moving on. We're going to go to we're going to go to Tom. Tom, what's your comment? Hi, thank you. Um, yeah, I was... oh, we might have lost Tom. Uh, we lost Tom. We lost Tom, and that's totally on me. Tom, please accept my humblest apologies and give us a call back. Right now, we're going to move over to Karen. Karen, thanks for being with us. What's your comment? Well, thank you for taking my call. This won't take much to unpack, Mayor. Um, I'm very pleased that you're our mayor. I worked for your election, and I felt like you were going to continue the 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 long tradition that the mayor's office has had in supporting uh, issues relating to the environment. So what I'd like to ask you is, have you thought about um, reinstating in some form 
the Mayor's Sustainability Advisory Committee, which I would hope you would think to do because it published a wonderful report and it reached out to so many areas of the community to help garner support for these things. And the second thing is, I hope you'll take that report off the shelf, look at it, and uh, work at implementing a lot of the recommendations in it. Thanks so much. I'll I'll take the call. I mean, I'll take your response now. Thank you. Great, Karen. Thanks. Um, I'm sure that uh, Kendra's ears are going to be burning back in the office because this is another opportunity to shout out her work on our team. She was the principal steward in the mayor's office under Mayor Cooper. Uh, of this process. And good news is we don't have to reinstate it uh, from my perspective because my former colleague uh, and still, I guess, colleague, uh, Councilmember Berkeley Allen, ensured that just as that committee was codified under law, uh, I worked to ensure at the end of term that another committee, one that actually had been discontinued, the Bicycle and Pedestrian Advisory Committee, uh, we codified those in the Metro Code of Laws before the end of the last term. So the We've already selected several great nominees for the reinstated Sustainability Advisory Committee, and it should continue uh, in perpetuity thanks to the work we did on the Metro Council that I was proud to support and excited for Kendra to continue working on that project. Thank you so much for your call, Karen. We're going to move to Jesse in Sylvan Park. Jesse, thanks for calling. What's your comment? Um, I'm Jesse Turner. Father Parthenius is with me. Oh, hi, Jesse. Hi, Father Parthenius. Uh, I'm literally looking through the glass at uh, an old friend in the studio here, Mary Mancini. So we're kind of having a reunion of sorts. Oh, well, there you go, friend. Um, my question is, it seems that I uh, recently read that single properties now can build two houses on the property. Um, we actually have a double lot, which means I can put four houses on it. Not yet, um, and I don't know if ever in the sense of um, right now the Metro Council continues to be the final authority on anything related to land use. Uh, apparently in this Metro Council, uh, there have been a couple of council members that have proposed pretty dramatic changes to uh, what has historically been uh, single-family zoning and duplex allowances. Uh, I would say that conversation very much continues in the council chamber. I don't know what the fate of those bills is going to be. Um, I will say for this year, we are focused on uh, ensuring that we get a high quality development agreement for the East Bank done and that we go way further than the investments necessary to get that started. That's what our initial uh, capital spending plan is. And then today's announcement of pursuing uh, dedicated funding for transit. My hope had been that we would have a great citywide conversation next year, uh, corresponding with the 10-year anniversary of Nashville Next, to look at the future of what zoning is in Nashville. Um, I think some council members wanted to get a, a jump start on that conversation, but I think it's appropriate that uh, still that land use conversation mostly plays out in the council chambers. So I can't, I can't say with confidence what they're going to come up with yet, but I think that it is not the case that anything has changed yet. All right. Thank you so much for that call, Jesse. We're moving to Stephanie in Nashville. Stephanie, I apologize for you being dropped earlier. Stephanie, what is your comment? That's okay. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, I am not a native, but I've been here since 1987. So oh, welcome, you know Stephanie. The, <laughs> thank you. You know, I've seen the explosive exponential growth of this city. And I guess um, my question is, it's, you know, the growth has outpaced infrastructure and funding for schools and sidewalks and all the things that make a place livable. 
And at what point do we stop incentivizing new companies to come here and new development? At what point do we say we are big enough and we've grown enough and let's take care of what we've got? Yeah, I think this is a really important question. And um, I think it's also why I'm excited to have uh, Bob Mendez be in our office as our chief development officer is because we talked about this extensively uh, during our tenure together on the Metro Council. And I would say overall, um, you'd have to look at where we've been. Uh, we did do a pretty significant investment uh, with Oracle. Um, but other than that, they're really, I would say, going back a decade before I was even elected to Metro Council, there was a lot more use of tax increment financing. There were a lot more incentives of both payment in lieu of taxes and jobs-based incentives. Uh, we did very little of that in just the past several years. And so I think uh, we were already catching up to your perspective on a public policy outlook. I think um, I will say I do want to ensure that uh, we continue to offer opportunities in the Nashville economy for uh, jobs of all types and people of all uh, working family backgrounds and that we don't close off parts of the city uh, because of inaccessibility on an affordability basis, but also that uh, we do make sure that uh, great successful companies uh, want to relocate here if if that's their choice. Um, we're doing everything we can within our administration. We've got Jamari Brown as our Director of Economic and Community Development and uh, Dr. Isaac Adai uh, as our Director of Small and uh, Minority Business Development. And between the two of things that they're working on, we are trying to specifically ease pathways into small business incentives and support our entrepreneurial ecosystem. And I would say uh, this transit uh, referendum proposal that we're working on, the Transportation Improvement Program, uh, and our deep investments in affordable housing over the past three years in particular, in addition to my continued investment in public schools, making sure our teachers are the best paid in the state of Tennessee, it's not that we can't keep up with some of this growth. We just have to make the right choices in what we're doing to do so. We think that this administration is well-equipped, and we think we've got some good council partners to help us with that. All right. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, and thank you so much, Stephanie. We can have time for one more call, but I do want to let callers, if you're on the line, stay on the line. We're going to take your questions off air and make sure that the mayor and his staff get them. But this last call is for Anna in Nashville. Anna, thank you for being with us. What's your question for the mayor? Hey, Mayor. Hey, Khalil. Um, it was said a few years ago that our landfills were almost to capacity. In creating a sustainable future for Nashville, what is the future of our recycling facilities and are there plans to improve our waste systems and recycling economy? Yes, absolutely. And this is something that I'm very excited to have been a part of for now several years. Um, we finally have advanced beyond uh, once a month curbside, but one of the most exciting things I got to do uh, in the first 100 days as mayor was also kick off uh, a food scraps pilot program. And it was over enrolled at the first 750 folks. But the amazing thing is, in just a few weeks, it started diverting literal tons of solid waste away from landfills. Uh, we do have a great uh, zero waste plan uh, that I that work we worked on when I was still on the Metro Council. We are continuing to implement that. Uh, in the capital spending plan that we've proposed that council will consider next Tuesday. Uh, we've got uh, an investment in a second avenue pilot program that should also help with uh, innovative urban solutions that, uh, you know, when you see cardboard boxes and alleys and all of the uh, bottles and cans that come out of the entertainment district, we're trying to make sure that 
uh, we are moving those scenarios ever closer to solid waste. I was actually over at the Titan Stadium uh, just a few months ago when the season was still ongoing, uh, looking at total the the possibility of total aluminum capture for any cans uh, that are used uh, at Titans games, and it's a smart recycling system that actually uh, uses AI. Uh, so there there are innovations happening all over the city and county. Uh, and we are very attentive to it. And I will just one more time give uh, Kendra Abkowitz and our team a shout out because I know this is something she's been working on. I know Senator Campbell, too, at the state level has been uh, deeply attentive to the issues of solid waste needs in the region because we are going to face uh, a near term crisis if we start to get there. But we're looking at construction demolition diversion. We are looking at uh, composting and food waste. We are looking at uh, making sure we keep fewer trucks on the roads uh, in terms of landfilling, and then we are making sure we're recycling more often. So a lot of things happening uh, that should amount to good news on this front. All right. Thank you so much, Anna, and thank many thanks to Mayor Freddie O'Connell for coming into the studio and taking calls with us. Mayor O'Connell, really appreciate it. Thanks. Khalil, thanks so much for having me again. Yes, sir. We'll see you next month. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll sit down with acclaimed photographer Jeff Fasano, who at the age of 40 left his job to follow his passion. We'll learn how taking a leap of faith is a great way to fuel one of his passions. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. How many of us are living out our dreams? How many of you listening right now are living out your passions? Is what you do for work aligned with your passions? Are you working just to get by? Do you even know what your passionate dream is? To have your passion be the driving force of how you make a living is a very rare thing. But since the pandemic, more and more people are attempting to discover their dreams, let alone live them out. But how about what if you do that when you're older? Do you have a job? Do you have bills and responsibilities? How can you make the change and not set yourself, not set yourself back in doing so? My next guest knows very well as he has changed his life all around. He's now the picture of how to take a leap and taking that leap in faith forward and how your passions can work out. Jeff Fasano is an accomplished photographer who takes photos of many globally famous musicians. His book, Americana Portrait Sessions, features images of artists like Sheryl Crow, the Avett Brothers, Margot Price, Chris Christopherson, and more. He joins me now to share his story. Jeff, thanks for being here. Welcome to This is Nashville. Oh, thanks so much, Khalil. This is great. Really appreciate you. Really appreciate you being here. So you, you work as a photographer. Mm -hmm. You take... You take pictures of world-famous musicians. You used to work the corporate world before that. Tell me about the corporate life and the work that you did. Ooh. Well, I actually was following in my father's footsteps, uh, following the, what his beliefs were, get a job, get your benefits, get your pension, mm. and you'll be safe and secure. And I did that for 18 years. And uh, 
there was a whole bunch of years before that that I just started to realize I was miserable and I wasn't happy at what I was doing. And I met a woman, we started dating, and she said, Jeff, you hate your job, you hate your life. The only time you're ever happy is when you're with me and you have that camera in your hand. Mm. Mm. So, you know, some folks, they don't like their jobs, but they enjoy their salary, right? Yeah. Did you make the kind of money that helped you forget the dread of going into work? You know, it wasn't about money, man. Mm. It was about, it was about, um, what do I want to say with my life? And I just loved picking up that camera and how it helped me express myself through that. And, um, I never thought about money. I never thought about the money part, which is built into our safety and security. Mm -hmm. I need to be safe and secure. That was what my father taught my brother and I. Be safe and secure. I never, ever thought about um, the money, um, but I made a plan. That's the whole thing. The whole thing in this is making a plan if, in fact, you want to do this. Okay, so... I want to get to that plan in a second, but how did you, you you know, you found happiness as your former girlfriend said, you're only happy with her. And when you have that camera in your hand, how did you get into photography? I've been doing it. My brother and I were doing it in high school. Okay. I had a camera in high school. We built a little dark room in my father in the basement of our house. Um, And I was just doing it since I was like probably 16 years old, 17 years old. Well, what was it about holding a camera and capturing, capturing images that, really sorry for this pun, captured you? Oh, well, man, uh, it was fun. It's fun. Mm. It's, it brings so much joy to my life, but um, I answer questions by telling stories. So I'm going to tell you a quick one. Yeah. Back when I went back to school to Parsons in New York City and studied with Mario Cabrera, he turned me on to three photographers, many photographers, three that stood out for me. Dorothea Lang, Walker Evans, and Eugene Smith. Walker Evans, who did portraits in New York City during the Depression. Um, Dorothea Lang, who photographed the migrant workers in California. When Mario turned us on to those three photographers, I looked at what they did and what they captured in people. I'm looking at you right now, yeah. and I'm going, I, can, I have my camera right next to me, and I want to grab that moment. It's what they captured in their images. When you looked at one of their images of the portrait that they did, you can see the entire life of that person mm. and what it felt and, and the, how it had made me feel. So the thing about it is, is what I look at photography, it's about how it makes me feel when I see a portrait of someone and I can see their life. And that's what excites me so much. And that's what I told Mario. That's, that's what I want to do. He goes, be a journalist? I said, no, I want to capture what Dorothea Lang and Walker Evans captured. Mm. You went on to do that. But you were talking a little bit earlier about your plan. So what was the plan you had to transfer from this corporate job, the stability of the corporate job, right. to starting your own photography studio? So I, one day I was leaving that job. And I laid my head back. I was on the train going home and uh, I heard my ex-girlfriend's voice and I popped, my eyes popped open and I said, um, 
It's time to grow up. So I went home, made a list. So this is what I talk about. I made a list of all the things that I could do, even in that corporate lifestyle mm -hmm. that I was living. I could eventually become the president of the company, this, that. And I made a whole, an entire list. And that's a way to start. What, make a list of, of what you'd like to do. As outlandish as it may seem, just make a list. And that's what I did that night. And around 11 o'clock at night, photography just came off the page and I felt it in my heart and in my soul. And I knew this is what I wanted to do. The next morning I spoke to my father and he said, um, I said, oh, I found it. He goes, yeah, you found it. I want to quit my job today. He goes, no, you're not ready. Mm. And I got angry for a moment. He hung up the phone as my father would do. You got angry, click. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I went, make a plan, make a plan. So I went home that night and I made a plan of what I needed to do to bring my work out to the world, mm -hmm. what I needed to accomplish that, which was back in that day, this was, this was 1994, right. five or something like that. I remember. And I went, um, I need to build a dark room. I need lights. I need to do this and I need to build a portfolio. But then I went to the money part of it. So this is where everybody gets stuck in, um, in place about, oh man, but where's my next paycheck going to come from? Yeah. So I made a plan that in this time period, I'm going to have enough money to live on the day I decide to leave my job. Mm. And it wasn't so much leaving a job, it was leaving an old life. I was going to begin to create a whole new chapter of my life doing this. So I made this plan and then, you know, started getting work and all that good stuff. But I set up a separate bank account and that was going to be my bank account to live on when the time came to quit my job. And it wasn't like a month or a year. It was four years, yeah. almost five years that I did this and, and just did that. And when I did leave, I did have enough money and more to live on for a year. That's patience and dedication right there. Yeah. Some people don't have that necessarily. Well, thank goodness my father was in my life yeah. who was my patience. He's a very patient man. Me, I'm not. Okay. I wanted to quit right away, but he would say, you're not ready. You're not ready. And what I wasn't ready to do, I didn't have anything to bring to the world, mm -hmm. to show to the world, to get work, to do this. And that just built over time. And I built a portfolio and, uh, and practiced, 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 and practiced more. And that's what artists need to do. So what was your first big break? During, while I was working, yeah. I, uh, my friend who I was working uh, with, one of my friends at work, said, what do you want to do with this photography? I said, oh, I love music. So part of it is about finding what brings you the greatest amount of joy. And I love, absolutely love music. And she, I said, but I don't play music. Uh, an instrument, I want to shoot it. She goes, oh, my friend is a VP up at RCA Records. I said, Donna, can I get my portfolio to her? I did. We went up, dropped the portfolio off. Two weeks later, the art director called me, said, we want you to shoot James Galway for his next record. And James Galway at that time, if you know classical music, was arguably the best flute player in the world. Mm -hmm. And so I took five days for vacation and went out to Chicago and shot James Galway for RCA Records. Wow. That was the... That was, got the ball rolling, and I realized as I was doing it, I want to do this. Yeah. This is what I want to do. Okay, so you've gone on to shoot thousands of musicians. 
you have this book, Americana Portrait Sessions, and it's got amazing folks. Keb Moe is on the cover. You got Jewel, as I said, the Avet Brothers. You have the McCrary sisters who were recently guests yes. on This Is Nashville. And you, in the book, you talk about your love for Americana music. What is it about Americana that, that captivates your soul? Great question, because that's what, that's what it does. It captures my soul and the meaning and the words and the purpose and the all-inclusivity, the diversity of the Americana genre is um, amazing. You could go listen to Cab Moe, mm-hmm. who is arguably a blues artist, and then go and listen to Del McCurry and listen to Bluegrass. And it's just a diverse amount of music. Uh, But what captures me is people have something to say. It's not really mainstream, but people have something to say. And you want to listen to what they have to say in regards to so much that's going on in the world, in their lives, how you can relate so much to what they're talking about. Um, Jason Isbell, you know, Mary Gaucher wrote the forward to the book. Uh, I can go on and on. Chris Christopherson, Dave, you know, David Crosby, Stephen Stills, Judy Collins. I mean, just think about the wide range. I have Sierra Farrell in the book. All these from all of these people who are major stars into people most people don't even know about. Mm. And that's another important part of the book is to um, show people there are so many young artists out there who have so much to say and are so good. But uh, it's the entire genre of music that just captures my soul. And that's the most important part in, in my message within the book and my message in life. You, do you have any memorable photo sessions you can sh- that you can share stories with us about? Sure. Um, when you ask that question, the first thing that pops into my mind is when I met Chris Christopherson. Mm-hmm. And I was living in L.A. at the time, and I was, uh, went to an event, a Beatle event, at the um, Gibson showroom in Beverly Hills. And, uh, and I walked in, and this was not a set-up photo shoot. I was there to just go and cover and shoot the entire event. And um, so I walk into this room in the back, and I look, and there's Brian Wilson. There's Chris Christopherson. And I look over, and I see Jimmy Webb. Over and, le- and then I look and I see Robbie Krieger, the guitar player in The Doors. I see America. And then I see Mickey Dolenz. I'm like, what am I doing here? Hmm. And I looked over and I know Jimmy Webb from New York. Um, uh, Judy Collins introduced us a long time ago. And he saw me and we're talking. And the reason why I bring this up is because I see Brian Wilson. And I'm looking, I'm looking. And my, the way I work is if I, in that setting, I walk around to everybody who I'm going to photograph that night, introduce myself, tell them what I'm doing, and if they don't want to do it, it's cool. And but I and so Jimmy said, I said, how am I going to go talk to Brian Wilson? And Jimmy goes, Come on, you're from, you know, you hmm. could you could do it. Yeah. And Chris Christopherson walks over and he goes, Hey, how you doing? I, that's how I met him. And Jimmy said, um, Jeff is having a hard time going over to Brian Wilson to to talk to him. And Chris Christopherson looks at me. He goes, come with me. I had Chris Christopherson introduce me to Brian Wilson. As the kids say, that's a flex right there. And I was, I mean, and I look at that and that, I mean, just saying that, if I go back to the days of sitting in the World Trade Center behind, in, in behind my desk to having Chris Christopherson introduce me to Brian Wilson, 
I'm, I'm telling you, that was a moment that I'll, I'll always, always remember. And then that entire night, I wound up hanging out with Chris, and it was just, it was, it was, it was one of those magical, magical evenings. All right, I just, I got about just a, a minute and a half left, so I do want to ask you this: What would you say to someone, anyone listening, live or on the podcast version? They're considering making a change. They don't know how. They don't know what step to take. They don't know what step they would take if they were able to figure out their passion. What would you say to advise them, to incentivize them to do, to take some sort of action? Make a list. What, ask yourself this question. What brings me the greatest amount of joy in my life? And then it's important for us to recognize we all have unique, individual talents, gifts, and abilities. Find out what those are. What do you, what, what do, you do that you that brings you the greatest amount of joy and marry them and begin there. Just, it could be because it's all about, hey, we, we go around once in this lifetime. We got to enjoy it, mm-hmm. you know? And then and sit and, and do that and find where in your soul, what do you feel when you're writing that down? How, what, 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 how, how is this making me feel? Is it raising my resonance and vibration when I think about this joy and what I'd love to do and, and, there, and begin there and let that be your foundation. We started off with my ex-girlfriend saying, you hate your life, you hate your job. You hate your life, you hate your job. Well, that is, I was like, whoa. So it's about raising your resonance and vibration to what brings you the greatest amount of joy. And I always you know, ask people, if you're really, really serious about doing this, give me a ring. Who's on the, next, who's on the list? Who, who are you shooting next? I shot Raul Malo last night. Um, it's not about who. I'm headed to Folk Alliance next week, and I'm going to shoot a lot of really interesting artists at my portrait sessions there. A lot of wonderful new artists, international artists. Okay. And then many people I know, Susan Werner, Joaquin Cooter is going to be there. Steel Wheels will be there. Um it's going to be great. It's going to be great. I want to thank you so much. Jeff Fasano is a music photographer who took the leap and is now living his dream. You can check out his book, Americana Portrait Sessions in Bookstores, or just head to jefffasanophotography.com. Jeff, thanks so much for being with hey, us. Hey, thanks so much, Khalil. And thanks to you for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville as a production of Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced by yours truly. It was directed by Tasha A.F. Lemley. Our board operator is Liv Lombardi. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. You can listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, the conversation does not end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ekelona. We'll see you on Monday, everybody, and be good to each other.